turn with you in your Bibles to the Old Testament to Samuel, the first book of Samuel. I want to begin to read with Samuel 2, beginning to read at verse 27. 1 Samuel 2, beginning to read at verse 27. One Samuel two, beginning to read verse twenty seven, hear the word of God with me. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with with envious eyes on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed upon Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever." The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. And then our text for this afternoon I take from 1 Samuel chapter 4, the first 11 verses. Continue to hear God's word with me. Chapter 4, 1 to 11. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who had killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, (coughs) the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. And so the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim, 
and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage, take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. And so the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled, every man to his home, and there was a very great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell, and the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas died. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to the hearing, the reading, and his preaching of his word again this afternoon. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, gathered here in Wellimport with me this afternoon. How beautifully we have sung the words of Psalm 48 together a few moments ago. Within thy temple, Lord, in that most holy place, we on thy loving kindness dwell the wonders of thy grace. Observe her palaces, mark her defenses well, that to the sons that follow you her glory you may tell. For this God is our God, and he forever will abide. Until life's journey close in death will be our faithful guide. And along with Israel of old, we sang it. We sang it with gusto, and, and that's no wonder, for it's a song that you can really get into. And we made a joyful noise this afternoon, but our, songing, our singing pales in comparison to that joyful noise of Israel as it's recorded in our text. Listen to the words again with me. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth resounded. In the New King James, it says that the earth shook. Imagine that. They shouted so loud, this God is our God. They shouted with one voice that the earth virtually shook under their feet. Oh, they would not have yet been familiar with Psalm 48, and perhaps they didn't use the exact word saying, for God is our own God, forever will abide. But nonetheless, in, 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 in the confidence of God being their God, they sang and they shouted so jubilantly that the earth resounded. We too sang, I hope with the same confidence and conviction, but the earth did not move. It didn't resound. I don't think we even made the windows of this building rattle a little bit, but that's, that's not to say that our singing is less pleasing to him. But I want to impress upon you that Israel sang so lustily, so mightily, so powerfully, and with so much conviction that the earth resounded as they shouted of the glory of their God. They sang of the God of the Ark of the Covenant. They sang to their God. We heard them, didn't we? This God, for this God is our God, and he forever will abide. And yet it's an amazing narrative that we have before us this afternoon, for almost immediately after this jubilation, the earth would shake again. 
But this time it would tremble amid the, the war cries of battle and wonder of wonders. It would suddenly seem that this God was not Israel's God after all. Israel had engaged the hated Philistines in battle, but Israel went down to a stunning defeat. They were perplexed. It would appear that God had divorced himself from his people. God, it seems, had forsaken them. They couldn't understand why. After all, that, that first battle was only a, a small skirmish, for we read that in, in the face of a small handful of pagan Philistines, God had left them. They, could, they couldn't understand that. And we here today, we understand, knowing our Bibles and knowing the shameful condition of the Old Testament church at that time, we understand exactly why God had withdrawn a measure of his grace from them. And yet, and yet, and yet it's good for us as well to re be reminded that covenant blessings cannot be divorced or separated from covenant obligations. In order for us to properly understand and interpret the words of our text, we need to set the text in a bit of a context of what follows. And at the end of chapter 4, we didn't read it as part of our text, but perhaps for your family devotions this evening, it would be good if you could perhaps read all of chapters 2, 3, and 4 of 1 Samuel together. And then at the end of chapter 4, you find there a woman, a woman about to give birth. She had heard the news of Israel's defeat, she would have been aware of the prophecy of her husband's impending death spoken shortly before the battle, and now a runner has been sent to her from the battlefield with this horrible news. She heard that the prophecy had been fulfilled. She heard that the ark had been captured. She heard that her husband, her brother-in-law, and her father-in-law were all dead. And it so distressed her that we read, she bowed herself in labor, gave birth to a son, called his name Ichabod and died. Ichabod, meaning the glory of the Lord, has departed from Israel. And now immediately we need to interpret carefully. You see, although, although she speaks of the glory of the Lord, we cannot assume from the text that, and the context that she was particularly concerned about God's honor and glory. No, indeed, she was concerned about God's apparent absence but she was probably concerned about that because of the implications that God's absence would have for their nation. It would be hard for her to imagine Israel without their God. Remember now, she was an Old Testament Israelite, and therefore she could not conceive of an Israel without Israel's God. And so although she would have been distressed by the death of her family and her nation's defeat, the fact that the ark had been taken from Israel by pagan enemies, that would have devastated her. Her family all killed, her nation defeated, but, but, but the ark taken away from Israel, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord had departed from her family and from her nation. It was more than she could bear. She bears a son, names him Ichabod, and she dies. But notice with me that the woman spoke of Israel having lost their honor at the hands of the enemy. After all, Israel was distinguished from all other nations uh, through the relationship they had with the God of the covenant. God's own presence was with them. In her understanding, God's presence was in the Ark of the Covenant, and that had now been carried off by the pagans, and so God was gone. And Israel's status as a particular nation was gone. Israel's glory was gone. And the shock of that stunning reality so disturbed her that it brought on her labor and ultimately her death. 
appeal to God, the Spirit has so much to teach us in that incident, but if that's all we see here, then we have missed completely what is central in all of this historical account. You see, the woman was distressed because the glory of Israel as a privileged nation under God was gone. But what was really at stake here was the honor not of Israel, but of God himself. The battle raged here for God's honor. Israel's unbelief and disobedience had trampled on God's honor, and therefore God would defend his own honor, and therefore God had given the victory to the enemy. Our text of this afternoon speaks of these things, and I want to administer God's word to you using as my theme, God maintains his own honor, or as you see it in your bulletin, for the glory of God. We will see his honor acknowledged despite the assault on the ark, And then we will see God's honor demonstrated despite the loss of the ark. So God maintains his honor despite the assault on the ark and despite the loss of the ark. It's a moving scene being played out here on the stage of sacred church history. As chapter 4 opened up, we read that the Old Testament church has just suffered a stunning defeat at the hands of the enemy. And and in their, their confusion and their sorrow, Israel begins to wrestle with the question of the promises of God concerning them. Had God not promised to bless them always? Had God not blessed and prospered them in the past? Had God not demonstrated time and time again his particular love for them? Why has the Lord now allowed us to suffer this defeat at the hands of the Philistines. Why? They didn't understand. And the question still echoes down over the centuries. Why, Lord? We, we hear it in the world and we hear it in the church. We hear it from church members, sometimes sincere children of God. They, they honestly struggle with serious faith questions, but sometimes those whys are also heard from hypocrites within the church who refuse to acknowledge their own responsibilities. <coughs> The question is serious. And when such questions are raised in all sincerity from born-again hearts of children of God, then the answer will follow and will be a source of enlightenment and comfort. But woe to them who ask the question while being unwilling to examine their own hearts in relation to the question. That now was the situation here. God had led them into defeat at the hands of the enemy. However, God in grace gave them time and opportunity to discern what it was that caused their stress. You see, they had suffered an unexpected loss of about 4,000 men, and they went back to their camp to, to discuss with their elders, no less, why this had happened to them. They could have known. They should have known. In fact, it was especially the responsibility of the elders to make it known why God had abandoned them. If only they would have gone on to seek their answer and to find it in the word of the Lord, for then they would have recognized the fact that their hearts had become estranged from the God of the covenant, and therefore God was removing a measure of his grace from them. They were no longer prospering because they refused to give full honor to God. That was their problem. We're familiar with the narrative and with the history, and so we say, well, that's obvious. We know that. But bear with me, you see, Israel didn't see it that way. They thought they were doing quite well in their relationship to the Lord. In fact, outwardly all appeared so wonderful. They had the glorious tabernacle, did they not? 
and Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, what of them? They, they had their high priests and their priests, did, did they not? And the, and the required sacrifices, were they not being offered meticulously, regularly? Of course they were. But you know the story. Israel was giving simple lip service. They were going through all of the motions correctly, but, but, but their full allegiance was not to God. No, the glories and ordinances of God, they were being mingled with sinful elements. The sacred was being diluted and spoiled by things profane. Sinful elements had crept into Israel's worship, and, and more and more Israel was, was making herself loose from the demands of God's covenant. They were separating themselves from God, and God's honor was at stake because of Israel's commitment not to him, but to self. We see it already in the house of Elimelech. You know that story. God sought to chastise Israel with hunger in order to bring them to repentance. But Elimelech, instead of examining his own heart, sought to escape the chastisement of God. And, 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 and so instead of assessing his own heart, uh, 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 he, he removed his family from the company of God's people over concerns of earthly bread. There was bread in Moab, so he went to the pagans. Elimelech was more concerned about himself than he was about the glory of God. We see a disregard of God's honor again in the house of Elkanah, Samuel's father. You know that story as well. He had two wives, Peninnah and Hannah, and Peninnah bore children to Elkanah, but Hannah was barren. What do we see? We see Peninnah taunting and provoking Hannah in her barrenness. And if only Peninnah would have understood, as Hannah did, that bearing children was a great privilege given by the Lord for God's own glory. But Peninnah, she bore them for her own pleasure. God did not even enter the picture for her, and she ridiculed Hannah, despite or perhaps because of Hannah's obvious love for the Lord. We see Israel's concern for self at the expense of God again in, the, in other areas of their family and their church life. In fact, their official worship had become corrupted. Was it not so that even the service of the tabernacle had been polluted indeed? Things had deteriorated to such a degree that the priests now padded their own pockets and they sought their own benefit in the Lord's service. In fact, we read even of the prostitution in and around the tabernacle and obviously rather than, than, than seeking the welfare of the church and seeking God's honor, the priests sought their own honor and their own pleasure first of all. It was abysmal there in Israel at that time. In other words, from the top on down, from the priests to the members, the Old Testament church had drifted far from the obligations of the covenant. In fact, although they worshipped him with their lips, it was all a facade. It was a false worship. It was simply lip service. They honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far from God. And that now was the situation as Israel enters into battle with the Philistines the second time. But something went terribly wrong. They had expected the victory because, the God, because of God's strong arm. And they went out in the confidence of God's promise to defend and prosper them. They went out with only a small army the first time. They went out with only a small army. After all, it would only be a quick skirmish, for after all, they would fight valiantly for him. For this God is our God, was he not? And why then this terrible loss in this battle? Why this loss of 4,000 men? And they asked, the, they asked the elders for answer, and the elders should have explained that Israel expected God's covenant blessing, but they failed to recognize or honor 
their covenant obligations. I want to repeat that. Israel expected God's covenant blessing without honoring their own covenant obligations. That was the problem. That's why they suffered defeat. But now, that thought had not occurred to them. But suddenly it dawned on them. We know what's wrong. We know why we lost the battle. We lost because God wasn't with us. And you know, truer words could not have been spoken if only they would have properly understood, but they didn't. In their mind, they, they sinfully concluded that the solution was to take the ark into the battle. God's presence, according to them, is in the ark. And so if we take the ark, we have God with us. And if we have God with us, then the victory is guaranteed ours. And so they pack up the ark, and they take it with them into battle. But, but, but their decision and their actions offended the God of the covenant. They thought they could bind God to working his power on their behalf without true conversion of their hearts. But God would not allow himself to be used that way. And even if true, if that true faith had lived within their hearts, it was still very questionable if this was an acceptable practice. Was, was that legitimate to have their army carry the ark into battle? Oh, we see that again. We see that again. That that once we see that once again that the, the found, when the foundations crumble, things can only go from bad to worse. And so, to here in the history of God's people, with great fanfare and jubilation, they drag the ark. They drag God into their service on the battlefield. And people got, if you listened carefully as our scripture passage was read this afternoon, then it must have struck you how often God was identified as the God of the covenant. And that has got to sink deeply into our minds as we interpret the text. You see, it was the Ark of the Covenant, and the Lord was the God of the covenant, and Israel was God's covenant people. We need to understand this well, for you see, had that not been the case, then all of this would be of no significance. If this covenant between God and Israel did not exist, then this ark meant nothing. But the ark was much more than a symbol of a God, as the heathen nations had. No, it was the ark of the God of the covenant. Capture this with me. Israel said, this God is our God. But this God, their God, our God, he is the God of the covenant. And God had indeed covenanted with them to be their God. But as our baptism form says it so beautifully, all covenants have two parts. The covenant contains promises, but also demands, blessings indeed, but also obligations. And that now was the problem. That's, that's where the rubber hit the road, if you will. Oh, how the pieces of the puzzle begin to fit together now to, to give us a, a greater picture in times of great need, we can call upon the Lord. In great calamity, we can ask, why, Lord? We can talk about him. We can worship him with our lips. We can baptize our children. We can celebrate the Lord's Supper. We can faithfully go to church even twice. We can establish Christian schools and other Christian institutions. But the question then has to be, why? Why do we do it? Why do we do it? My dear people, God, we open with lustily singing, for God is our own God and forever will abide. And he is that. And he will do so. Oh, how tragic if I could not point you to the heavens this afternoon and say, here is your God, your God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. What if I could not say to you, here is his promise for you. Here is his cross for you. 
my dear people of God, all that we say and do this afternoon would have no meaning and no value if I could not speak of my God, your God, and our God. But, but, but I can say that to you. This God is your God. But I may not do so without at the same time saying, examine yourself as individual believers and collectively as church. He is indeed our God. He has coven- his, covenant- his covenant promises are, are, are ours. But just as with all covenants, they have two parts. Our first obligation is to examine ourselves to determine why do we do what we do? Why are we here this afternoon? Why do we do anything that we do? Why do we work? Why do we choose the schools that we do for our children? Why do we live the way that we do in our homes, in our families, in our marriages? Do we do it all for ourselves, or we do it for the honor and the glory of God? We need to understand this well, for you see, as we saw here with Israel, unless we seek God and his glory first of all, then God begins to remove himself from us. And God then begins to withhold the measure of his grace from us. And we cannot do, we cannot do without the Lord and without the Lord's blessing. My dear people, God, God needs nothing of us. He needs none of us. But he commands of us that we glorify him. And that had been forgotten or neglected by Old Testament Israel. And they were now reaping the whirlwind. And people of God, the sin is often imitated by New Testament Israel. The sin is perhaps not even foreign to us. Capture this scene in your mind now as we return to our text. In verse 10, we read, and so the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. It's as if, it's almost as if the author wants us to know that there was no fighting, no victory for Israel. Philistia, she fought and she won the victory. In other words, despite the ark in their midst, despite God's presence among them, God was silent and Israel's strength was sapped despite all of their ill-founded confidence in the ark. Capture the scene with me. Israel carried the ark into the battlefield with such jubilation that their voices shook the ground and their cry of this, God is our God, struck such fear in the hearts of the Philistines that they cried out, woe is us, who will deliver us from that mighty God? But they were admonished by their leaders, be strong, conduct yourselves like men and fight. And their victory would have surprised them, but it stunned and terrified the Israelites. All of the jubilation, all of that noise, their voices shook the very ground. This God is our God, they sang. And, they, and look at them now. Understand this, people of God. The decisive victory was a shock to Israel's army because, because it, 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 it turned their every expectation upside down. The army fled. They scattered every man to his own tent, not by command, but of their own accord and in fear. And we read, and the ark of the Lord was captured. The ark of the Lord was captured. It was a refrain that would be repeated several times in a few verses to to underscore the enormity of that disaster. The ark of the Lord had been captured. It was a devastating incident in history of God's people, unequaled in the Old Testament history. The very foundations of the world, certainly the foundations of church history, were being shaken. The church, if you will, rocked as the foundation on which she stood crumbled under her very feet. The ark had been captured by the enemy. 
we can almost see them as wild animals fearing for their lives. The Israelite soldiers scattered in retreat, running back to camp to, to, to cover and cower. And every man ran back to his tent, and we read, then the slaughter was very great. This time, 30,000 men. This God is our God. Oh, they did not yet know Psalm 48, and so the wording you used may have been slightly different, but seeing the ark carried into the battle under the shoulders of Hophni and Phinehas, they were convinced of God's presence, and he would win the victory. And with voices full of confidence in God, they shook the very ground, and, the, and they frightened the enemy. This God is our God. And, and see now the result, 30,000 fighting men dead every other Israelite soldier cowering in his tent. The Ark of the Covenant carted off to a heathen nation. Hophni and Phinehas, Israel's priests, dead. Eli, Israel's high priest, dead. His daughter-in-law dies in childbirth, but not before she correctly cried out, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has departed. The glory, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has departed. And people go, if we didn't know the rest of the story, then we, along with this woman, would be driven to despair. Seen from Israel's perspective, they thought that God would win the victory for them. And when that didn't happen, they thought that God would at least maintain his own honor. And Israel expected that somehow, someway, by whatever means, God would still vindicate himself and maintain his own honor and glory in Israel. But look and see now. The Ark of the Covenant is lifted up and carted off by the enemy. God's people had been defeated. God's fighting men lay slaughtered. God's priests had been murdered. God's high priest dead. Ichabod, the glory was gone out of Israel. The glory of God is gone out of Israel. God himself is gone from Israel. All is lost. People got this entire sordid episode recorded is about the people of God collectively. It is the Old Testament church that is suffering a tremendous defeat, and, and all of it because of the church and her leaders failing to honor their covenant obligations. And in this context, it begins already with Eli the priest. According to verse 29, Eli honored his sons above God. His sons were priests in Israel, but they had drifted far from God. They had profaned the holy things of God. They acted wickedly. In fact, they even took for themselves the fat that God had appointed to be burned on the altar. We read they even consorted with prostitutes. Their wickedness would cost them their lives. But, but, but Eli, their father, shared in their guilt in that he refused to properly warn and discipline them concerning their depravity. Oh, he had talked to them, but it was only a slap on the wrist, if you will. But, 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 my dear people of God, this passage ought to cause all of us, especially all of us as fathers, to shudder. For you see, although the primary focus in this narrative is the failure of God's people as a whole to honor their covenant obligations, no less does it speak of personal covenant keeping. Follow this with me. You see, Eli, Eli was not only a priest among the house of Israel, he was also a father to two covenant children. And it was his covenant obligation to instruct them in the way and the will of the Lord. And in that, he had failed miserably. And the result of Eli's faithlessness as a father was that God cut off his entire house. God judges those who depart from the paths of obedience. 
The word of God in his law was true. I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. And in the face of this dark and terrible reality, God here also testifies of his covenant faithfulness toward his remnant. God will take from unfaithful parents the privilege of having the covenant continued in their generations. But God's covenant will not fail. Hear me well. God's covenant is not dependent upon the faithfulness of the people, not even on the leaders. God will maintain his covenant on the basis of the cross of Jesus Christ. God's covenant <coughs> will be maintained in the way of obedience, not on the basis of, uh, on the, not in the way of obedience, but not on the basis of obedience. Despite the sins present among the leaders in Israel, the Lord God would preserve his people and he would raise up a faithful priest to do according to his will. We read in verse 35. People of God, you and I as parents, we have stood before the baptismal font and we have vowed to raise our children in the fear of the Lord according to the doctrines of scripture as taught in this Christian church. We have pledged before God, we have vowed before God to maintain our part of the covenant, and God takes our vow seriously. Should you fail, should you fail to rear your child in the truth of God's word, you have no reason to expect God's blessing on your generations. Listen to that, your generations. On the contrary, you have every reason to fear God's judgment in your family, even to the third and the fourth generation. Eli failed in his responsibility as father. He esteemed his sons above God. He did not want to offend his sons. The result was that he committed a far greater offense. He offended the living God. Oh, we don't judge the eternal destiny of Eli. He was a godly priest, and we, we have no reason to doubt that Eli was forgiven and went to glory, but, but he did suffer the consequences of his parental negligence as his house was cut off from the priesthood. But Israel as a nation, as a whole, as, as, as the Old Testament church, also suffered horrible consequences as a result of their failure to keep covenant. We read, the Ark of the Covenant is lifted up and carried off by the enemy. God's people had been defeated. God's fighting men lay slaughtered. God's priests were murdered. God's high priest was dead. Ichabod, the glory is gone out of Israel. The glory is gone. The glory of God is gone. God himself is gone from Israel. All is lost. That wasn't so. Oh, indeed, God had the sons of Eli killed because of their profaning of their holy office. He had clearly stated that he would do so. Indeed, God showed his, God allowed his people to be slaughtered on the battlefield. Indeed, God allowed the ark of his presence to be carried off by the pagans. But this God, Israel's God, our God is also the God of all grace. Our God remembers his covenant. Our God gives us his all. He binds himself to his covenant people, but of his people he commands that they live in response to his covenant promises. Oh, how vain the imagination of our hearts when we imagine that this God will be our God regardless of what we do. No, this God is our God, but he's the God of the covenant. And just as in all covenants there are two parts, God honors his, but God expects our faithful response. This same God who we saw in Scripture tearing down the idols and the false worship of the Old Testament church, 
This same God whom we saw massacring his own people. This same God whom we saw frustrating and despairing his own people. This same God whom we saw pulling the hope out from under the feet of his own people. This same God is the same God who in Jesus Christ has rescued the church from darkness and has given her into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his son Jesus Christ, in whom the church has redemption and forgiveness of sin. It is the same God who draws with cords of love all of his own from the four corners of the earth. It is the same God who so loved his people that he did not spare his only begotten son but freely gave him up for us all so that we would not be condemned eternally for our constant failure at keeping covenant obligations. It is the same God who at this very moment through Christ his son is gathering the church out of this world as he advances his kingdom. It is the same God who allows himself to be found and bound to all who would kneel at the foot of the cross of Golgotha. It is the same God who hears and answers the cries of those who appeal to him saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That, first of all. But quickly, one more thought needs to be captured by us here before we leave the text. Obviously, the wife of Phineas was so desperate because of the circumstances that she could only say, Ichabod. The glory of the Lord has departed. And yet to give her son that name, Ichabod, was sinful. You see, she saw only the ark. And even then she had misunderstood. She imagined that the Lord was bound to the ark. And she saw the ark transported with the, with the Lord in her mind to a foreign land. She thought the Lord was now gone from Israel forever. But that wasn't so. That could never be. What she failed to see was the God of the covenant who had promised that there would be no shadow of doubt or turning on his part. She had failed to see the God of the covenant who always, always remembers his covenant promise. She had failed to remember that God could not. God would not, God could not forget his covenant promises to redeem his people and to rescue them, and he would, and he did. He rescued them not only from Egypt, not only from Babylon, not only from the Philistines, but God would rescue his people from sin and shame, from death and the clutches of Satan and hell. My dear people of God, if it is your heart's desire to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, if it is your desire to seek first of all the honor and the glory of God in all that you do, then join with me to unite our voices and with all of God's people everywhere. Let us shake the ground in jubilation to say, but this God is our God, and he is. But then let us also go from here to honor our covenant obligations by seeking, first of all, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Shall we pray? Father, with the psalmist, we can only say, Hallelujah, praise ye God. In his temple shout his laud. Let the clashing cymbals ring to the praise of God the King. Praise him with a mighty sound. Let your voices shake the ground. All that breathe exalt the Lord. All ye men his fame record. 
God is great. Sing hallelujah. Bless now the preaching of your word and the hearing of that word as we now together shake the ground singing of the praises of God. Amen.